Chapter Eight of the Secret Mark by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Chapter Eight: What Was in the Paper Mache Lunchbox? We can tell whether she really took it," said Lucille after listening to Florence's story of her strange experience in the Portland chart room of the famous old library. We'll go back to Tyler Street and look in at the window with the torn shade. If she took it, it's sure to be in the empty space in the bookshelf. Looks like he was trying to fill that space. He's awfully particular about how it's filled, laughed Florence. He might pick up enough old books in a second-hand store to fill the whole space and not spend more than a dollar. Isn't it strange, mused Lucille. He might pack a hundred thousand dollars worth of old books in a space two feet long, and will at the rate he's going. The greatest mystery, after all, is the gargoyle in the corner of each book they take, said Florence, wrinkling her brow. He seems to be sort of specializing in those books. They are taken probably from a private library that has been sold and scattered. That is strange, said Lucille. The whole affair is most mysterious. And by the way, she smiled, I have never taken the trouble to look into that papier-mâché lunchbox the child lost on the street the night we rescued her from that strange and terrible woman. There might possibly be some clue in it. Might, agreed Florence. Now that the thought had occurred to them, they were eager to inspect the box. Lucille's fingers trembled as they unloosed the clasp which held it shut. And well they might have trembled, for as it was thrown open, it revealed a small book done in a temporary binding of vellum. Lucille gave it one glance, then with a little cry of surprise, dropped it as if it were on fire. "'Why, why, what?' exclaimed Florence in astonishment. "'It's Frank Morrow's book, Walton's Complete Angler, the first edition, the one worth sixteen hundred dollars.' and it's been right here in this room all the time. Lucille sank into a chair and there sat staring at the strangely found book. Isn't that queer, said Florence at last. She, she'd been to his shop, got into the building just the way you said she would, by posing as a scrubwoman's child, and had made a safe escape when that woman for some mysterious reason grabbed her and tried to carry her off. Looks that way said Florence, and I guess there's a clear enough case against her if our Shakespeare one isn't. You'll tell Frank Morrow, and he'll have her arrested, of course. I, I don't know, hesitated Lucille. I'm really no surer that that's the thing to do than I was before. There is something so very strange about it all. The book fell open in her hand. The inside of the front cover was exposed to view. The gargoyle in the corner stared up at her. It's the gargoyle, she exclaimed. Why always the gargoyle? And how could a child with a face like hers consciously commit a theft? For a time they sat silently staring at the gargoyle. At last Lucille spoke. I think I'll go and talk with Frank Morrow. Will you tell him all about it? I, I don't know. Florence looked puzzled. Are you going to take the book? Lucille hesitated. No, she said after a moment's thought. I think I shan't. 
Why? What? Florence paused, took one look at her roommate's face, then went about the business of gathering up material for a class lecture. Sometimes, she said after a moment, I think you are as big a riddle as the mystery you are trying to solve. Why? Lucille exclaimed. I am only trying to treat everyone fairly. Which can't be done, laughed Florence. There is an old proverb which runs like this. To do right by all men is an art which no one knows. Lucille approached the shop of Frank Morrow in a troubled state of mind. She had Frank Morrow's valuable book. She wished to play fair with him. She must sooner or later return it to him. Perhaps even at this moment he might have a customer for the book. Time lost might mean a sale lost. Yet she did not wish to return it, not at this time. She did not wish even so much as to admit that she had the book in her possession. To do so would be to put herself in a position which required further explaining. The book had been carried away from the bookshop. Probably it had been stolen. Had she herself taken it? If not, who then? Where was the culprit? Why should not such a person be punished? These were some of the questions she imagined Frank Morrow asking her, and for the present she did not wish to answer them. At last, just as the elevator mounted toward the upper floors, she thought she saw a way out. Anyway, I'll try it, she told herself. She found Frank Morrow alone in his shop. He glanced up at her from over an ancient volume he had been scanning, then rose to bid her welcome. "'Well, what will it be today?' he smiled. "'A folio edition of Shakespeare, or only the original manuscript of one of his plays?' "'Oh,' she smiled back, "'are there really original manuscripts of Shakespeare's plays?' "'Not that anyone has ever discovered. "'But, my young lady, if you chance to come across one, "'I'll pledge to sell it for you for a million dollars flat "'and not charge you a cent commission.' "'Oh,' breathed Lucille, that would be marvelous. Then suddenly she remembered her reason for being there. Please, may I take a chair? she asked, her lips a-quiver with some new excitement. By all means, Frank Morrow himself sank into a chair. Mr. Morrow, said Lucille, poising on the very edge of the chair while she clasped and unclasped her hands, if I were to tell you that I know exactly where your book is, the one worth sixteen hundred dollars, the complete angler, what would you say? Frank Morrow let a paperweight he had been toying with crash down upon the top of his desk, yet as he turned to look at her there was no emotion expressed upon his face, a whimsical smile, that was all. I'd say you were a fortunate girl. You probably know I offered a hundred dollar reward for its return. This morning I doubled that. Lucille's breath came short and quick. She had completely forgotten the reward. She would be justly entitled to it. And what wouldn't two hundred dollars mean to her? Clothes she had longed for but could not afford. Leisure for more complete devotion to her studies. All this and much more could be purchased with two hundred dollars. For a moment she wavered. What was the use? The whole proposition, if put fairly to the average person she knew, would sound absurd to protect two persons whom you have never met, nor even spoken to, to protect them when to all appearances they were committing one theft after another, 
with no excuse which at the moment might be discovered. How ridiculous! Yet even as she wavered, she saw again the face of that child, heard again the shuffling footstep of the tottering old man, thought of the gargoyle mystery, then resolved to stand her ground. I do know exactly where your book is, she said steadily, but if I were to tell you that for the present I did not wish to have you ask me where it was, what would you say? Why, he smiled as before, I would say that this is a great old world, full of many mysteries that have never been solved. I should say that a mere book was nothing to stand between good friends. He put out a hand to clasp hers. When you wish to tell me where the book is or to see that it is returned, drop in or call me on the phone. The reward will be waiting for you. Lucille's face was flushed as she rose to go. She wished to tell him all, yet did not dare. But, but you might have a customer waiting for that book, she exclaimed. One might, he smiled. In such an event, I should say that the customer would be obliged to continue to wait. Lucille moved toward the door, and as she did so, she barely missed bumping into an immaculately tailored young man, with all two pink cheeks and a budding mustache. I beg your pardon, he apologized. It was my fault, said Lucille, much confused. The young man turned to Frank Morrow. Show up yet? he asked. Not yet. Well? I'll let you know if it does. Yes, do. I have a notion I know where there's another copy. Well, I'll be sorry to lose this sale, but I can't promise delivery at any known date now. Perhaps not at all? Perhaps. The young man bowed his way out so quickly that Lucille was still in the shop. That, smiled Frank Morrow, is R. Stanley Ramsey, Jr., a son of one of our richest men. He wanted the complete angler. He turned to his work as if he had been speaking of a mere trifle. Lucille was overwhelmed. So he did have a customer who was impatient of waiting and might seek a copy elsewhere? Why, this Frank Morrow was a real sport. She found herself wanting more than ever to tell him everything and to assure him that the book would be on his desk in two hours' time. She considered... But again the face of the child framed in a circle of light came before her. Again on the street at night in the clutches of a vile woman she heard her say, I won't steal. I'll die first. Then with a sigh she tiptoed toward the door. By the way, Frank Morrow's voice startled her. You live over at the university, don't you? Yes. Mind doing me a favor? certainly not. The Silver Barnard binderies are only two blocks from your station. You'll almost pass them. They bind books by hand, fine books, you know. I have two very valuable books which must be bound in leather. I'd hate to trust them to an ordinary messenger, and I can't take them myself. Would you mind taking them along? N no. Lucille was all but overcome by this token of his confidence in her. Thanks. He wrapped the two books carefully and handed them to her, adding as he did so, Ask for Mr. Silver himself and don't let anyone else have them. Perhaps, he suggested as an afterthought, 
"'You'd like to be shown through the bindery. "'It's rather an interesting place.' "'Indeed I should. "'Anything that has to do with books interests me.' "'He scribbled a note on a bit of paper. "'That'll let you through,' he smiled. "'And no thanks due. "'One good turn, you know.' "'He bowed her out of the room.' She found Mr. Silver to be a brisk person with a polite and obliging manner. It was with a deep sense of relief that she saw the books safely in his hands. She had seen so much of vanishing books these last few days that she feared some strange magic trick might spirit them from her before they reached their destination. The note requesting that she be taken through the bindery she kept for another time. She must hurry back to the university now. It will be a real treat she told herself. There are few really famous binderies in our country, and this is one of them. Little she realized as she left the long, low building which housed the bindery, what part it was destined to play in the mystery she was attempting to unravel. She returned to the university and to her studies. That night she and Florence went once more to Tyler Street, to the tumble-down cottage where the two mysterious persons lived and there the skein of mystery was thrown into a new tangle. End of chapter 8